Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. I'm doing very well. I just had a great chat with Jason Fairheller. Jason is a speed coach, plyometrics coach, change direction agility coach. Uh, Well, I suppose he's a coach, (laughs) firstly, who focuses a lot on all of those things and actually has a ton of great content on all of those things. So, and I think me and everyone else probably need to get educated. Most other people need to get educated better on those things, um, regardless of if you work in rehab or in performance with clients or athletes or if we're just trying to improve our own bodies move. And I think Jason is probably one of the best in the business there. Super nice guy, really smart guy. And um, that's what we chatted about today. All of those things, how he progresses change of direction how he looks at change of direction categorizes it how he programs for it the different types of movements that he would prioritize how he focuses on maybe like how he thinks about intensity versus volume versus complexity all of those things so lots of good stuff in here any of the links or anything like that or any of the things that we mention are in the show notes we're trying our best to have our show notes packed full of whatever links are mentioned it should be just there for you to jump into the show notes and have a quick look so Make use of our show notes, please. And um, if you enjoy the episode, make sure you give it a share for us. Maybe a rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are. I don't think we've received a written rating in a little while, actually. I don't think Spotify, you're only allowed to give stars on Spotify. So jump on and give us five stars. But if you're on, a- if you're an Apple listener, I think you can write a little review, which would be great. So like something like, David, the DGR podcast is amazing. It keeps me sane during my week. You accompany me on all of my travels and I love it so much. Thank you, Karen, or maybe not Karen, Michelle or someone like that, or John or something. So yeah, that would be great if you left a little review. And um, apart from that, I hope you enjoy the show with Jason. And we are on, Jason, how are you? Thank you for joining me. I'm awesome. Always a a pleasure to talk with some other, I'll, I'll say, other people that you've heard on like other podcasts, I always love talking to them because I always like have questions for them also when I'm when I'm coming up with with stuff. So I remember like the first time I think I heard you was on Joel's podcast talking about mm-hmm. the foot, and I was like, this is this is really kind of deep, cool stuff that that I I know I, I took some stuff from that for sure. Cool man, you're not allowed to ask me any questions today now. All it's right, only, yeah, only the other way around. So, uh, no, Joel's, Joel's podcast is good. It's, it's interesting because before I was on it, like just listening to all the different people talking about stuff. And I always thought that like people who are on podcasts, like I put them maybe on a pedestal or something like that, where it's like, these people are so smart and blah, 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 blah. And then I realized it's just a skill. Like I've been able to maybe articulate your thoughts and get it out there in, in some kind of coherent fashion. And it is a skill. It is a skill and it is something I'm working hard on, but um, it just takes practice, I think. I know. And I know personally, I've gotten a ton from, from his podcast and then just even from like talking with other coaches and going more in depth beyond just like, give me like 20 minutes of your background. Give me 10 minutes of like what you're doing now. How many sets and reps are you doing? Great. Have a nice day. Mm-hmm. I, I want to hear like the deeper conversation mm-hmm. and that's what I kind of like about that one. Yeah, exactly, man. I really try and stay away from the, you know, it's so, it is easy to fall into the trap of like, okay, 
there's a format like tell me about yourself then like here's the surface level five questions and every podcast that that person does probably sounds like every time you're a guest on a podcast it's the same format you know now look i'm not afraid of going into that either but i want to try and if i was sitting down with for a coffee with you i wouldn't start with like okay tell me your background then yeah, like, yeah, tell yeah, me the yeah. next thing tell me the next thing yeah. it would just be a random probably scattergun approach of questions i'd have for you so that's uh that's how i approach it right now so uh what uh what were you doing in new york did you say you're doing a seminar yeah so i just th- this past saturday i just did a, a seminar on improving game speed with multi-directional power so it was powerpoint presentation and then about two hours of practical stuff on multi-directional speed and then another powerpoint on multi-directional power and then another couple hours of practical work just because i think that's the the best way to learn. I always learn by watching other coaches work with other people and also by doing it myself. And I always think that's always a much better method than always just listening to stuff all the time, because then you're missing kind of the connecting dots when you're trying to piece it together yourself, as far as like how this might fit into a program, how you might do this with a particular athlete or person. hundred mm-hmm. percent. It was that all, uh, was that all coaches that were there? All coaches. There was one physical therapist that was there. All all the rest were coaches. Yeah. And how are they moving? They got better throughout the day, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. But I always think like the best way to get someone to move better is to just use a ton of variety of drills. And I mean, we can go into as much like change of direction stuff versus agility stuff. And, And I'm always on the side of like, if I'm training an athlete, what is the absolute closest thing I can do in the gym to help them move better on the field? Mm-hmm. And to me, for the most part, that's change of direction work. Because I think there's like, it is building a particular physical skill within that. And when I see people say like rip on change of direction work, because there's no perception involved in it, my response to that is like, well, pointing to a cone or calling out a color, that, that's not the equivalent perception that would, you would have in a game. Mm-hmm. And even trying to run past someone with a basketball in your hand versus without, which is what you would do in the gym, that's still different. So what we do in the gym, even agility-wise, doesn't necessarily equal exactly the perception someone would see on the field. So if we take one step back from that, I try to build qualities of changing direction in and out of a ton of variety of movement patterns and angles and positions. And then getting back to like how to teach that, I think for me, doing that myself all the time is almost like the best form of learning. I usually go out, do like half hour of speed work pretty much every day. And at some point within that, there's always some sort of just, let me mess around with something here, something different. And to me, that has been the biggest thing on like how to learn. And I was actually going to like write a Simply Faster article at some point being like, why coaches need to train speed themselves, even change a direction themselves, because it just gives them a much better understanding of that. Mm-hmm. And another point would be like, if I were to say to any coach, give me five cues for this squat that you see an athlete do. They could probably bust out like 20 cues right away. But if I were to say, all right, what did this person do or what could they improve on when they change direction doing this? They might give like two cues, like, oh, they need to get lower. They need to 
get, get a better angle of projection. But there isn't that inherent thought or, of learning about going more in depth with how actually people move on a field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those are learned cues that they have. Like, it's like, okay, I know, I know two cues about change of direction, but I might know two cues about squatting, but I'm not going to necessarily just shout a cue to someone at squatting if that cue doesn't apply to how they're squatting. But like, yeah. if, if I'm looking at a change of direction and I don't know how to look and analyze and view the movement in real time, of course you can slow it down and stuff, but like, what cue do they actually need? You actually have to understand the movement to say, this is the cue they need yeah. rather than just like a get low cue. What if they actually are already low? So what's the cue that I'm going to use then? So um, it's just, it, it, it all comes back to understanding the, the thing that you're trying to coach, I think. So very interesting, but that's, that's harder than just having a cookbook of like, here's a few cues that you would, you would need or you would actually use. Yeah. And even I think the next step of that is you choosing a particular drill where you don't have to cue them verbally, mm-hmm. you get a, a drill to cue them to do what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. And doing that with, with other bands or constraints or sometimes I even stand in a particular spot so they don't run into me because I want them to get into a specific angle or something like that. And all of those things get them to move a certain way without me having to tell them or think about it. I still mm-hmm. don't want them to think I need to do this, 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 this yeah. when they're, when they're moving. Yeah. High speed movement. Uh, it's not a, a top down approach. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It actually gets in the way a lot of the time. Maybe you have one specific cue, like, you know, like get low or something. It might, it might work, but it's not really how movement is organized in the brain or the body. Um, so that's a, not a rule I have, but the less you can talk when movements are, when speed of movement has increased, I think the, the better the results. Why do you think, do you, say, you think a lot of people are, or do you see a lot of people like bashing on the change of direction work then in like in the gym? That's not, it's not, oh, this isn't a game specific thing. You see a lot of that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, oh, it's everything is totally rehearsed, but change of direction doesn't have to be rehearsed. And the other thing I think about too, is like how many coaches train acceleration a lot of them do linear speed work and they have no problem telling someone get in your two point stance set up here, get in, get, get this shin angle. All right. Push your hip back, do whatever. All right. I want you to think about this as you drive out. That is not reactive in, in any way at all. Mm-hmm. And even as far as like game speed goes, how often is someone accelerating out of a two point stance? Acceleration typically happens off of a single leg. So when someone changes direction, they're planning typically a single foot into the ground because they're reacting off of someone. They don't have the time to get two feet into the ground. So they're, they need to practice accelerating, moving in and out of a variety of positions, whether it's like going laterally and then moving forward at a certain angle, going backwards and then having to, to move forward at a certain angle, moving laterally, moving backwards, all of these different things. So it just doesn't make sense to me that, that someone would be willing to do rehearsed acceleration work, but not rehearsed change of direction work. When to me, that would be the next step as far as like how to get someone to move well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think about too is when we look at change of direction work, that is the ultimate assessment for how someone can move on the field. So we want to know how, how quickly can someone decelerate or slam on the brakes? All right. So we want to improve someone's 
they can't do that well, we know they need to improve their overall strength because they, they need to improve their eccentric strength. We need to make sure that they have a reactive component. So no matter when they change direct direction or hit the ground, they need to do that quickly. And in shorter distances, they need to do that really quickly. When they have more speed or a tougher angle, it's not going to be as quick, but it still, still shouldn't look like they get stuck into a cut. Mm-hmm. And then if someone can do those two things well, like they can limit knee flexion into a cut because they have relatively good strength, if they can kind of pop off of that relatively quickly because they have good reactive strength, the next step would be, what is their concentric strength? Because when someone strikes the ground, it's actually their first step when they go into another angle or, or position that's unloaded, and that's just all concentric strength. Yeah. And then you look at how someone accelerates out of that. Yeah. So all of those. You, you things, mean the step? So if I'm if I'm coming out of a like if I'm coming in hard on my right leg, gonna plant my right leg. You mean then the left foot that's coming down? Yes, when the yeah, left yeah. foot. So it's yeah. gonna yeah. We're gonna get concentric swing leg retraction yeah. of of that left leg, and when it strikes the ground that's going to dictate their concentric output. And we want all of those things to be done really well. So when you can look at someone move in terms of, of that, that he can even guide your, your strength training in the gym. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're, if you're breaking down a cut, you maybe have a bit of film or you can just slow it down and watch someone you're looking at. Okay. Are you maybe sinking down a little bit too much on that right leg? versus maybe are you not pushing out hard enough on that left side or being able to push down hard enough in that left on that left side and thinking okay maybe more eccentric strength on the right or concentric strength or not not necessarily right versus left but overall it would just be like what do they need more Mm -hmm. of what when you're watching someone move what do they they need and ultimately Mm -hmm. if they can't slow themselves down quickly and decelerate quickly they need to improve their their overall strength yeah and then once they can do that, now let's look a little bit deeper at the type of other strength components that we will want to add into that yep. to build on. Do you think you need to go and do traditional strength then to work on that if you're seeing something like that? Or do you think you can use that drill to just make them stronger and improve coordination and position and all of that stuff at the same time? It's both. I both. think you, you need to have a certain level of coordination because I think... Perception happens when someone understands the angle they need to move. So let's just say I'm I'm trying to get past you and you're not, a defensive. Not gonna player. happen. Oh, I don't know. You never <laughs> see me move, I guess. All right. I anyway. have, I have. It's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you you perceive me cutting to your left. Now, if you don't have the physical capacity to hit the angle based off of how fast I'm moving and the angle of my cut you're not going to be able to to do that anyway. So perception can actually be improved by improving the actual physical qualities of the athlete. So I need to see someone, can they turn backwards to their right equally as well as they can turn backwards to their left. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's going to be differences side to side and it could be moving forward, moving backward, moving laterally, but that that's all up to you as the coach to figure out because uh, if we're trying to quote unquote, like give as many tools or add, add as many tools in the toolbox as we can, to me, th- those are the tools being able to get someone to move well. And yeah. it could be a strength issue. It could be 
a coordination issue, but you can kind of figure that out as the coach. Like if, if they have a certain level of strength, right side versus left side, but they can do something on their right side, but they can't do it on their left. Then it becomes a coordination Coordination. issue. Yeah. But I think if I'm doing change of direction work, I almost like to think of it as its own type of specific strength Mm -hmm. because certain times I'm running real hard, 10 yards, 15 yards. I try to slam on the brakes. That's a ton of force when I'm trying to, to stop or slam on the brakes. So in, to me, it's like still a, a form of strength training, even though it's not necessarily like get under a barbell or, or use yeah. some dumbbells or yeah. something like that. Yeah, 100%. And I see it all the time in, in, especially like it's easier to see in the rehab process where someone is not playing their sport at the moment, let's say, and you've brought them through the process, like let's say like more isolated strength, then it's more integrated traditional strength, let's call it then like it's, it's return to plyometrics, then it's return to change of direction work. And I'm, be- I'm getting better at this now, but you'll always then let's say someone goes back to playing like hurling or Gaelic football in Ireland are very dynamic field-based sports and a lot of rotation involved. And if I, if someone goes back into their sport, even just for training sessions, not necessarily full contact or anything, they'll, they'll come back in and they'll be so sore in a good way, like doms in their groins, yeah. their obliques, all of this stuff. It's a different and kind of soreness. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much, how many Copenhagen planks or anything we've done. It's a different soreness. And it's very hard to replicate that, I think, in the gym. But actually then some of the stuff that I see you doing, I'm like, actually, I think that could be a really nice way of bridging some of them gaps. So I'm going to try and get better and better and better at that if I can. So I think in, in terms of going from, and this could apply to a beginner athlete or also someone coming off of rehab, is I always want someone to move as fast as possible because I don't think doing a drill at 50% is going to transfer to doing the drill at 100%. Mm-hmm. So it might be, I want you to shuffle super hard and it's only one single shuffle to the side. Mm-hmm. And I want you to slam on the brakes doing that. And then it's a couple shuffles. Then it turns into, I want you to run two hard steps and slam on the brakes. And then you can even use bands to pull them into cuts. So depending on the space you have, you might not have a ton of space. But you can do other drills to add more force into their change of direction stuff. And I yep. think as long as you just keep on progressing with that, yep. then it, it makes things much easier down the line yeah so that that's actually really interesting to me because i think i view i certainly view plyometrics the same where i'm trying to up intensity all of the time and then maybe build volume in on top of that so you're thinking the same with your change of direction it's not like i'm doing a shit ton of lower level or like stuff at 30 percent and then trying to up that up that up that i know i know you might need to do that sometimes but like wherever you can you'll chase intensity and then and then build build out from there yeah. And I mean, you could even take away some of their, their body weight with a band. So if I have someone and they, they need to work on their initial push, but they don't necessarily have the strength to land super well or stop super well, I just have them do that against resistance. Yeah. So when they stop, the added stretch of the band takes away some of their body weight. So it's easier to stop. Yeah. And then you can decrease that, that band resistance over time too. Yeah. But the intent is still high. The intent is always high. Yep, yeah. no matter what. And and like you said, that that should be done with speed work as well as biometrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it, man. 
I really like it. It's hard to, I think, especially in the rehab process, people are afraid of intent and intensity. They are afraid. It's so easy to just feel like, uh, okay, yeah. do an extra set, do an extra few reps. Intensity is is scary for the for the client and for the coach. I think, or for the rehab person, it's scary. But ultimately, like it's the it literally is the only way you're going to get people back to where they need to be. It is. My my wife's a physical therapist, so we have conversations all the time. I'm like, wouldn't you do this here? She gives me reasons why she wouldn't. I'm like, yeah, but what about this? <laughs> so it's funny that that we kind of always go go back and forth, but. I think ultimately, like there has to be a certain level of intensity if if someone is is going back to mm-hmm. or in a return to play program. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of it can be just like the mental part of the athlete worrying about getting hurt again. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. it's a whole different ball game when that's part of it too. Yeah. That's why I'm surprised when you said that at your at your workshop, there's one physical therapist and well, actually, I'm not that surprised. I wish I was surprised, but I'm not that surprised that it's all coaches and one physical therapist. Like really, to me, it's more important for physical therapists to be at that stuff because at least the coaches, now you won't probably agree with this, but at least the coaches have the excuse of, okay, these athletes are already doing their sport, so I'm going to do things that don't look like their sport. There's an argument to be made for that. I don't agree with it, but there's an argument to be made for that. But the physical therapists have no argument because it's like, they're not doing their sport. You need to get them back to doing their sport. So here's the things you have to be able to give them along the way, or else they're very likely going to get injured again, or else just be really slow when they come back. So it's just frustrating to me that physical therapists wouldn't. Same with any plyometrics, change direction, sprint work. They just don't know how to do it. You're right, and you're right. I wouldn't agree with that. Mm-hmm. That like the, the but sport, it is a fairer. I, I, yeah. It's a it's a, it's a, not a it fairer is. argument, but it is an argument that you can understand why someone would have that point of view. I, I always think like when a when I hear a coach say, "Oh, the practice in the game that is all the agility work they need. I just need to get them stronger." think there's so many dots that don't get connected between squatting a certain amount of weight or hex bar deadlifting it and then going to the sport and i always think too like we we train this hockey team and we train all of their age groups from their like u10 up through their like u18 team and the amount of practice these kids get they're on the ice like four or five times a week and i think Mm -hmm. like why are certain athletes not getting better? Yeah. Because they, they are exposed to so much practice. It's like, what, what is making someone still better than, than someone else? Yeah. And to me, like, they're lacking some sort of physical qualities. And you can argue that like, yeah, they, they don't have the same perception abilities or whatever. And I'm sure that's still part of it. But to me, there's, there's something missing that isn't allowing them to still get way better and to, and mm-hmm. to be much better over the long period of time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is what you're saying. And because I, I, I get frustrated because I, I see with myself included, I see, I see people playing their sport and I watch them how they move at 16. And then I watch them how they move at 30 years of age. And it looks the exact same. They're still yeah. doing the crappy cut in that way. They're still moving, jumping in the same way. It hasn't improved at all. And 
you have to wonder then, like if, if they've had an extra God knows how many thousand reps of that by just playing their sport over the previous 15 years, why does it look the exact same? And yeah. the argument around just self-organization then, which I don't think coaches necessarily understand that argument, that doesn't mean you can't actually coach. <laughs> it's like, why, why are they not changing that whatsoever? And I think often it's just the, the, the nervous system, actually self-organization was like, okay, at 10 years of age, they learned how to cut in this way. And that's how they just said, okay, that's good enough for me. Off I go. I'm going to continue to do that just with a tiny bit more yeah. force as I get a little bit stronger. And I actually see what I see working with clients is it actually doesn't take that much to change it where actually they can take it into their game and stuff and it improves a little bit. They just need to maybe be separated from that situation. And there's an intention behind what you're doing and an intensity behind what you're doing. And I actually do see it improve relatively quickly. So I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm, I don't think you have to have a ball in your hands and a guy chasing you to make improvements. In fact, I often see it that it's the exact opposite to that. Have you read Rob Gray's book, How We Learn to Move? No, but I've been meaning to for a while. You have to. And in that book, he, he talks about, there was like a study where pregnant women were like walking through doorways. And at a certain point, they changed how they walked through the doorway so they could actually like fit through, through the door mm-hmm. and w- without telling them that they're like changing the, the frame of the door. And his point was, is that your perception will change based off of what you're physically able to do. And that even includes like, the size of, of your body, but also like your, your physical qualities. So if you perceive yourself to be faster and you build up explosive power in a bunch of different directions, you will perform differently because you know, I can make this play keeping this distance from me and my opposing player still versus I need to give them extra space because I don't have that ability. So even just giving them the improved tools of moving well and being more explosive will change their perception. And then that could change how they play on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really so, interesting stuff. So, you should really read that book. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I need to, I need to, have you spoken to him? I did. Yeah. yeah. Really he? awesome guy. Good. He's got a good podcast too. Yeah. Uh, perception to action it. podcast. Yeah. I've listened to a couple of episodes. I think Bosch was on it before. Maybe that's where I, I came across it. Have you spoken to Bosch? I, I took his course last fall. So it wasn't in person. The way it was set up was it was five weeks every other, or it was like five sessions. It was done every other week. Mm-hmm. And it was like six hours per session. It was yeah. really, t- it was really awesome. I, I learned a lot looking at like video breakdown of movement. That was like one of the biggest takeaways from it, where he, he talks about like, we cannot look at this person and say, Usain Bolt runs like this. So you need to run like this. It's like, mm-hmm. what does Usain Bolt, what was his time when, when he moved like this versus what was his time when he moved like this? Mm-hmm. And he actually showed like when he broke the world record versus when he was running a, a little bit slower. I mean, still fastest guy in the world, but we're running slower, how there was very slight changes in his mechanics. And that's what we should be comparing is the same person to themselves, not necessarily two different people to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did that course as well. 
is interesting. The video stuff is is good. That's a tricky one though, because what if he just woke up that morning and he it is didn't get it a is. good night's sleep? Yeah, you know. No, but but maybe the maybe his nervous system just being not as primed that day means he ran a little slower. But like that is then evident in his mechanics still you can still say the mechanics are different but it doesn't mean the mechanics necessarily were like okay he he it doesn't mean that his technique got worse and like that's why he was slower but it all kind of leads into to each other i think but uh yeah it's uh that's that's an interesting one did it change much about your practical side of things a, a little bit i'll say like one of the things that changed was like how i train the lower leg a little bit so kind of like the idea of like an athlete learning to anticipate the ground or when they hit the ground, because I think if, if there isn't any sort of tension prior to their foot hitting the ground, they're obviously going to be like much slower when they do that. So a lot of his drills where he's got like a back foot on the box and he's bringing his front foot like off of a box down to the ground and then quickly back up mm-hmm. or things like that. Number one, they're way harder than you expect them to be. And to do it while not letting your heel touch the ground, you really have to move quickly in order to do that. So that was like one of the things in particularly I I love doing and I kind of took away and, and used that pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a Bulgarian split squat kind of position and you're you're tapping the ground from box to box or something really, really quick. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, I, I I like that stuff. I think definitely in my world, like ankle rehab and and, and that it can be can be very good. So sometimes I think some of it there's too much of a focus on like stiffness with it, and a lot of people are just on the toe, kind of all, really on the forefoot all of the time. Yeah, so like I, you you can't. Yeah, you definitely don't want to like plantar flex too much mm-hmm. because then you don't get any power. Because mm-hmm. the other part of it is like if I'm striking the ground. I need to have a little bit more of my foot on the ground, especially if I'm like trying to decelerate and then go another direction. Mm -hmm. I just think it's the idea of almost like creating stiffness prior to ground contact, which is, which is helpful with a football team, American football team last year. I did a bunch of the, the hip lock drills, just as stuff in between their strength work. And it noticeably cleaned up a lot of their, their movement, especially like doing the hip lock, they were able to do that much better. I don't know how well that Im- improved other things as much, just because I wasn't able to do quite as much speed work as I wanted to with them, just because of like time and and numbers of, of kids. Yeah. But it it did seem the the little bit that I did to improve how they moved. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, quick break from the show. Just a quick question for you. If I mention the word biomechanics, does it make you weak at the knees? If so, you should join DGR Interactive, the world's best biomechanics education platform. We have 700 coaches and therapists in there, actually 750 almost now, learning from us every week. So if you have, if you have 10 or 15 minutes every week, then we'll make you a significantly smarter coach slash therapist and ultimately help you get way better results with your clients and ultimately make a lot more money and enjoy your job a lot more so if you're looking for clarity around biomechanics training and rehab all that stuff click into the show notes and check out dgr interactive how much importance let's say do you place on just improving let's say plyometric ability like like just someone just 
in whatever type of I don't know how like just take a, a drop jump for for example because it's something that's like really easy to measure let's say right so they're jumping off this they're stepping off this exact height of a box they're spending this exact amount of time on the ground and then they're getting up this high so like just forcing or not forcing but just getting someone really really good at that type of thing and then transferring it into maybe continuous hopping like locomotion type of drills versus like okay I really want you to be like, like, can that stuff really improve our change of direction or our speed versus, okay, I need you really need to be specific on the mechanics that I'm looking for in these drills. Uh, or again, is the answer both? Well, this is like a, a very long, this is, this is an awesome question. So I think, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah. N- n- number one, I think we have to have the end goal of plyometrics in mind. So for me, the end goal of plyometrics is unilateral power development because that, that's what happens when we change direction. And in most sports, and let's just say like basketball, for example, they're moving very short distances before they, they change direction, especially like if it's an offensive player trying to create space to take a shot or go to the basket. So those are all, even though they're not maximal plyometrics in the sense that they require maximal muscle tension, like stepping off a, a giant box for like a depth jump or something like that, they, they do require minimal ground contact time. And I think to me, that is the end goal. Now, I want to see someone's, if I were to just look at RSI, reactive strength index, if, if someone can't do that off of two feet, the odds of them doing it off of, of one feet are, are not good. Mm-hmm. So I would always start my plyometric training with bilateral jumps and then eventually work into single leg hopping variations or punches into the ground at, at different angles. So to me, like that's, that is how I would go through that. And then I would divide up my, well, not I would, this is how I divide up my plyometric work. I'll call it either like attacking where I'm moving forward at any angle mm-hmm. side to side, which is pretty simple, just side to side or retreating or moving backwards with like a punch into the ground. Mm-hmm. And out of those three, the retreating one is the one that is not used nearly enough. So if I'm, if I'm moving forward and I intend to go 90 degrees to the side, I can't put my foot into the ground laterally because momentum's still going to carry me forward. I actually need to put my foot into the ground and create a force going backwards to allow me to make that, that hard cut. Mm-hmm. And to me, like that, that is the missing one that isn't trained enough. Like I see a lot of people doing like broad jump variations, lateral bounds where they're going side to side, going forward. I don't see nearly as much work moving in that like retreating yeah. pattern as yeah. much. Yeah. Can I just ask a quick question on that? So like take a, a T drill then, for example, where I'm coming out to a cone and I'm, I'm shooting off to the left or to the right. So you're saying I come straight out to that cone and then I don't, I don't do like a 90 degree turn necessarily. I'm staying facing forwards, uh, but I'm coming, I'm retreating back over to the left a little bit. Is, is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, so I'm so coming backwards say, and to the left. Uh, even though you're putting force backwards, you still go directly to the left just because if momentum would carry oh, you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah let's yeah. just say the, the, the T, I sprint, I'm at the bottom of the T, I sprint straight ahead to a cone. Mm-hmm. And I, let's say my intent is to go directly 90 degrees to my left. Yeah. I'm going to punch my right foot into the ground at an angle yeah. 
that's almost like putting force backwards because momentum is still carrying me forward. Mm -hmm. And ideally, like that's going to be a a better position and it's more difficult to execute than someone that that stutter steps a lot. Mm -hmm. Because when someone stutter steps, obviously you're giving the defensive person time to also slow down and it's going to be easier for them to make a play versus if you can plant a single foot into the ground harder, you can create space a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take a, not a T drill then let's take a, just two cones. So like I'm at a cone, there's a cone 10 yards straight in front of me and I'm just going to, going to want to just specific to what you're saying there, kind of specific. I'm going to just go around that cone and come back to my cone, but I have to go around the cone. Would you train then? Is there a way of like saying, okay, or would you, what way would you be thinking about? Would you be thinking like less steps is better than to get around that cone? So coming in hard and taking like one step, come around and come straight back. Or like if someone was doing really short, choppy steps, how would you attack that? Would you be happy with that? Would you look at the time and say, okay, you just getting back to that cone is fine because you're getting back as fast as doing it in another way. Or do you want more force into the ground and maybe just one step to try and get around the cone? Or does that even make sense? It does. And I would, I'd rather see someone take less steps around the cone. Mm -hmm. And now, they, depending on the speed at which they have going into the cut, how far away that, that cone is from you, and their, their strength, they might have to stutter step in order to, to take that cut. The other thing you want to look at is when they make that cut, how tight can they make that cut? Like they might be able to, to go around the cone and maintain a lot of speed, but then they take a super wide turn yeah. around. So you're, you kind of look at, at those different things. And based off of that, I might shorten the distance so they take less steps mm-hmm. in, in order to kind of figure that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've never known anyone who chops their feet who isn't faster when they don't chop their feet, if they're capable of doing that. If they can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because this is something that I see with all my ACL clients is when we start to introduce, reintroduce, change of direction, they're super choppy, obviously, in the beginning, because it's safer for them. They feel like, okay, I can, I'm not putting any hard stop into any one leg here, but it's not particularly athletic. And I'm trying to get better at training people out of that. Or at least like, even if they go and do it in a game, I don't care too much. It might, yeah, like I wouldn't love if they did that in a game, but at least I want to know that. In rehab, we at least haven't always done that, that there has been like hard, aggressive steps into a, into a cut. So yeah, that's something I'm getting, getting, trying to get better at. Do you have any like tips for progressions from someone being super choppy to not being choppy? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Like the one thing I notice is like when people, and I'll, I'll use like Kemba Walker as an example, because he does this so well, a, a basketball player when he'll like dribble forward and then he'll like stop and come backwards. Does this like punch into the ground. And when he does that, his foot is always angled to the side. Yeah. So a lot of times when people chop their toes are straight ahead and that's not necessarily like an effective way to decelerate. Like it, it's more effective if they plant a foot to the side to help them decelerate. Mm-hmm. So I think it's first thing is getting them out of doing that in particular. But besides that, I would go with, I would start off with just angles 
that they can easily do and then gradually inc increase the difficulty of the angle. So for instance, they, they sprint up to a cone and maybe they go about 45 degrees to the side. Mm -hmm. That's very simple. They can do that without slowing down. Then maybe you do that about like 60 degrees. Then maybe you do that at about 90 degrees, almost like an L drill. Yeah. And then you can slowly just kind of increase the angle at which they do that. So instead of just saying right away, all right, run up to this cone, go around it, that's going to be difficult for them. Mm -hmm. But doing that other progression of just changing the angle every time allows for a little bit more speed them to maintain more speed and to feel more comfortable doing it too. Mm -hmm. That goes back to what you were saying earlier, where it's you want the intensity intensity to be up and then maybe you increase the complexity of the drill rather than starting them just starting them in the same drill and just starting them slower and asking them to go a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. So, the yeah. other thing I would say too would be let's just say like you set up a triangle and you say, I want you to get to the last cone of the triangle. They're still going to make that same cut where their focus isn't as much on what they do around that cone, mm -hmm. but it's more about how do I get to that other cone quickly? Mm -hmm. So it just makes them think, not think as much about actually how they would move their feet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Excellent, man. So can you break down maybe the, we maybe should have started with this, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Just kind of the, the categories of, or if you categorize or how you maybe categorize or think about splitting up the different types of change directions or types of, even maybe if you wanted to say plyometrics or whatever you, whatever you want, like how you think about these different movements, separate them and then think about maybe training or programming for them, if you can. That for sure. Be very broad, but. Uh, so I, I kind of like touched on it. Uh, just a little bit when I talked about either like attacking side to side or yeah. retreating. Yeah. So, so there are three different things. You're those, saying those are three, three different things. Yeah. Yep. So, and those would be kind of like my theme for the day as far as my speed work would go. And I'll just talk about change of direction work because I still do linear speed training and I, I do that weekly. And most people know enough about that. They've heard a million podcasts about that. So I'll leave that up to them, whatever they've heard. Great. Just keep on doing that. But as far as the, the change of direction work, it'll be attacking drills, side to side drills or retreating drills. Okay. And the plyometric drills will match up with those things every single day. So let's just say I'm, I'm doing a retreating day. I'm going backwards. Let me take another step back here. So we have different patterns of movement in sport. We have a shuffle, a lateral run, curvilinear runs, we have back pedals, and we have hip turns. So our, our hip turn is going to be where we're facing forward. Say I'm facing you, I'm defending you, and you attempt to run by me. In order for me to go backwards, I actually have to punch a foot into the ground in front of me, create an angle to go back. And allow, that allows me, say I punch my right foot into the ground. As I punch my right foot, my left leg can get some air, reposition, and, and then hit the ground. Mm -hmm. Let's just say I'm doing a, a retreating day. I might do like a hip turn into a shuffle, maybe about like 30 degrees behind me. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be pretty simple. Then later on, I might add some more speed to it. I might do a hip turn into a, a lateral run, maybe like 60 degrees behind me. Then I would layer that on with like a hip turn to a lateral run. Then I got a hip turn again and go back the other direction, almost mm -hmm. as if someone was making like two jukes on you or something like that. So the speed work always has the theme 
And the drills always layer one thing on top of another. So it starts off with shorter distances, shorter times, finishes with either a little bit more changes, a number of changes of direction within the drill or more distance covered. Mm-hmm. And then the plyo work just continues to match that. Drills that I'm punching into the ground, going backwards at, at some angle or in some way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that example, programming wise, would you usually do your plyos before or after you do the I, direction? I mix it in between. Okay. So I would do like, here's like a, a sample template. I would do two speed drills. Yep. Just say the first one is just like a band resisted hip turn. I just want someone to quick work on just punching into the ground quickly. The next one would be that hip turn into a shuffle. The next one would be like a pogo jump that I'm going zigzag going backwards mm. or something like that. And I would always start off, like I said before, bilateral to unilateral with the plyometric stuff. Yeah. Then I would do another speed drill retreating, adding a little bit more speed to it. Then I'll typically do a medicine ball fake throw, then another plyometric drill where I'm minimizing contact on the ground. Then I'll do like one last series of stuff, two speed drills, and then a, I'll, I'll refer to it as like force training or jump training, where I'm just trying to get as much distance or height, depending on the drill that I'm doing. Let's just say I'm doing a retreating bound where I'm just pushing off of my right leg at an angle going to my back, going back to my left with a goal of going as much distance as possible. So I think when people do jump training, they don't necessarily think about always going as far as possible. Sometimes there's too much focus on the landing and you have to figure out what you're trying to improve. Are you trying to improve stability with landing that? Or are you trying to improve the actual force that someone is able to get off of any sort of like change of direction? Mm-hmm. And to me, when someone is doing just their, their drills focused on landing, the force that they land with usually does not come close to the force that they would have in a game when they were slamming on the brakes. Yeah. So I think those things need to be progressed much more to make it a lot more challenging to stick that landing. The other thing too, when someone is sticking a landing, the position of their shin is typically more vertical because it's easier to kind of get more height and land on a single leg vertically that way and stick it versus if I'm going for distance to the side, I'm going to land with my shin kind of angled. But that's actually what we would want because when someone's changing direction, we want that shin angle to be angled a certain way. Mm -hmm. Now, can you stick the landing with your shin at like 30 degrees or so, depending on how far you go? No, you're, you're going to like land on the other foot. Yeah. And so I think that's not, that's not wrong. That's actually right in a certain sense, if that's what you're trying to improve. Yeah. You have to pick stability or, or force when it yeah. comes to your jump training yeah. a little bit. Do you, want to, general, do you want to stick that landing? Probably not. You do it like it's not, it's not when you're pushing it at that, at that kind of an angle and that aggressively. When would you need to stick that landing? I'm not so sure you would. So, yeah, I think when you, I think when people focus on landing mechanics, which I I don't mind, again, I don't mind a focus on landing mechanics, but when they base their, like you're saying, jump training on just what I can stick my landing in, they rob themselves twice because the first time they rob themselves is they limit 
they limit the actual push off because they're going to think, okay, I won't be able to stick this landing. So now yeah. I have to limit the push. So I've just robbed myself from an, a, a much stronger and more uh, specific stimulus in, in the push off. And then I'm not robbing myself again in the landing because actually I'm not landing as aggressively as I would be if I was actually doing a really true change of direction or a, a hard cut or something like that. I'm not hitting the ground as hard. So like, it's not, it's still not specific and it's still not going to be overloading the landing either. So I kind of take landing mechanics mostly out of it, to be honest, if I can, and just say, how, how hard can you push off and then figure out the landing when you get there, that type of thing. Pretty much. And I'll say this though, it looks really nice on Instagram and social media. When you have a whole team that sticks the landing and their arms are behind them, it, it looks really good. It looks great. It looks yes. great. And it's hold for three two and then up yes. you go again it looks great it does it does it, you just don't see it happen on the court or the field or anything else though so um, that's exactly it so yeah. what i would do is like if i'm working on stability because i do think you have to have a certain level of stability or in this case like strength in order to to land a cut mm-hmm. so i might have someone do a lateral bound but they're going back let's say there's like a band around their waist. They start off with a huge stretch on the band and they push off of one leg back towards the anchor. And I don't want them to necessarily like stick the landing upright. I just want to see what is the angle at their knee and the amount of knee flexion they have Mm -hmm. that they can control. Yeah. And if they go like really deep into it, then it might be a little bit too much. There's, there's certainly going to be times when someone changes direction and they get deep knee flexion just because of the speed they go into it. But ideally, we want to minimize the knee flexion because that allows that really quick response off the ground. Yeah, yeah. So you're just looking for them to manage the landing rather That's than necessarily it. always stick the landing. Yeah. Okay, awesome, man. That sounds like a really, like, the, the session that you just described there I don't, I don't see people, many people doing that stuff. Um, as in like, yeah, you might choose one or two drills, but then it's into like, okay, now we're doing our session, which is squats and deadlifts. I don't see people doing sessions of that stuff. And I think if I was to think about like what I would like my body to be able to do or my client's bodies to be able to do, unless they're going to be a power lifter, that's the stuff I want them to be able to do and get better at. And that's the stuff that will ultimately make them much better at not just their sport it's not just for sports people athletes but like be able to do do those movements that's uh someone who's in still a young body i think for sure and i think you need to have a large variety of movements that you have someone do if you actually want to i mean the amount of movements that someone has on the field is so high so to do one single drill I think this is why there's always like kind of another knock on change of direction work is people will do like, oh, you just do a pro agility for like 10 reps yeah. and that's it. I would maybe do a pro agility like one time over the course of like six weeks. I wouldn't do that multiple times because I don't, someone, I don't want someone rehearsing any drill. Mm-hmm. It's like they might do it twice or maybe three times within a workout and that's it. Mm-hmm. And if someone, if I have someone perform a drill and they crush every single drill I want them to do and it looks perfect, I made them know better because they already own those movement skills. I have to find a way to make it more difficult so they're continuing to learn. And it's kind of like that two-thirds, three-quarter rule where 
one out of every two or three or three or four times, I don't want them to perform it well. Mm-hmm. So that way they're, they're still learning about how they can move better. Yeah. Okay. So when you're saying like a, a drill, like, uh, so like take a T drill again or, or whatever you're like, we were mentioning earlier, you wouldn't necessarily use that to improve someone's change of direction where you're just doing the, the T drill all of the time. You wouldn't use repetition of that. You'd always mix up the, not always, but each, each session you might mix up the, call, the the degrees of the angle of the call or how fast or how many steps they have coming into it or things like that. You'd play around with the that and you would play around maybe with the, the complexity of it where like where they have to look with their eyes or turn their head or keep their head in some direction or something like that. The visual stuff is awesome. And I, I do some of that as far as like looking the opposite direction that they're going, keeping their yeah. eyes on a fixed point. Those are all layers to it. But as far as like other ways to progress the drills, I mean, you you hit a bunch of them, but you add, you, you make the angle more difficult. You increase the time of the drill. So usually just about all my drills are like two to four seconds Mm -hmm. in duration. Sometimes they might get up to like five or six seconds, but if I want intensity to be high, I, I cannot do drills like a plyo agility drill, watching 30 second people jumping up and down and moving around. That kills me. Because it's just all conditioning. You're not getting anyone faster, more explosive. Now, if you're going for conditioning, fine. That's a that's a different topic. Mm-hmm. But so in, increase the time of the drill. You can increase the number of changes of direction. Because change of direction is so much more taxing than just even running straight ahead. Yeah. So adding in more changes of direction. And then the other thing would be increasing distance or which allows more speed into a certain cut. So there's a whole bunch of variations that you can play with every single time. So it's kind of up to you to, to figure mm-hmm. out whatever you need to do to make that challenging for the athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to use conditioning again. Like I don't worry too much about conditioning early in the rehab process. I don't want people to lose condition and conditioning, but Again, I like to play with intensity as much as I can. I think the conditioning you can get back or you can keep much easier. I try to keep intensity in, but then with change of direction, let's say it's an ACL client or something like that. Like we'll do a lot of intense change of direction work. And then we just try and as we're approaching later and later and later in the rehab process, it's rather than just making them tired in a straight line running or or anything like that, I try and have them pretty tired where they're doing their change their change of direction and it's not it's not to try and make them better at the change direction it's just to get them used to being doing this while they're fatigued because it's what's going to happen in the game so mm, but maybe i need to do less of that i don't know (laughs) i got pavel's book the quick and the dead a while ago and basically all you do is kettlebell snatches and you do either like five reps every 30 seconds for like two to four minutes, depending on the day, or you do 10 reps every minute and you end up doing like two to three series of that. And, and that's, that's all you do. And I did a bunch of tests prior to doing that. And then afterwards, and like my five minute snatch test improved a ton, despite never going close to five minutes of work. But the main point that he said was like, every rep you do has to be as intense as possible. And I think doing repeated bouts of very high intense work, let's say in my speed session, I might get like 
12 to 20 bouts of like two to four seconds of really intense work. And that actually like will improve your conditioning in a certain sense because like conditioning in sport is, I always think it's like the ability to repeat a high intense effort. And yes, there's a lot that goes into that and doing like tempo stuff is awesome. But the other part of that is you have to do high intense efforts while you're still kind of fresh and you can kind of play with those numbers a little bit, but it will Im- improve someone's conditioning. Yeah, I suppose. And they understand that in the sprint world, right? Where it's like the, the best sprint coach at least where it's like seven minute rest in between a, or five minute rest in between yeah. one, one 30 or 40 meter sprint or whatever, depending on who you, who you listen to. But I've tried that before. You got to have a lot of time to do that. That takes time. Yeah. yeah, that takes time. But it, it probably still the idea behind it still holds true when you're when you're doing your your change of direction work it maybe just feels like it's not it's maybe not as sexy because people want to do more cut more and more and more cuts but it probably doesn't it's probably not working too well if you're slowing down when you're doing them yeah slower, in general like trip. about 45 seconds a minute sometimes 30 seconds but somewhere within that range is a general good break between like doing something real hard for two or three seconds and do you have a, a rough guideline for like how many times a week you might train that with someone if they're, yeah, if it is in the rehab process or if they are newer to that stuff, like, well, actually, I suppose it, that really probably just depends. It could be just literally once a week for someone. So I'm doing, if I have an athlete, we'll say coming in over the summer, they're doing speed training five days a week. Mm-hmm. They're doing it every single time they come in. And that template doesn't really change. The only time it changes is on like max speed days a little bit where they are taking more rest in between, especially once they start to get a little bit more distance within that. But I mentioned before about like sub max plyometrics and like Kemba Walker punching off the ground. And if I think of the amount of times an athlete does that in a game, it is a very high number. So to me doing only a couple reps of a couple sets, uh, two times a week, that's not coming close to actually preparing someone for their sport. So I have them do stuff where they have to get off the ground quickly five days a week. doesn't matter. Now it's usually only two different exercises. And if someone looks slow, I might have them reduce the number of reps or change the, the drill a little bit to make it a little bit easier. But you'd be surprised. Athletes can still maintain like, ground contact speed every single day and even improve it over the course of time just by by doing this type of stuff mm-hmm. and i think like when, when you read research it's typically about like doing plyometrics for like one single effort like what was someone's triple jump what was someone's high jump when they did these types of things but it's not necessarily about improving plyometrics for someone that needs a ton of repeat bouts of changes of direction mm-hmm. so that's where I, I go with that yeah yeah no that's really that's really interesting it's it like works that's that's stuff for me to think about in the rehab process big time as well because you're trying to get them back to a point where like you're trying to actually push them harder than they will be in in a game when they get back into yeah. the game and three sets of 10 pogos twice a week is just not enough <laughs> it is not no <laughs> It's like a te- for a te- kiddie's tendon or something like that, a patellar tendon, a soleus injury, 
oh, it's just, it's just not enough. It's nowhere near enough. And, um, yeah, so like getting, I suppose a good, a good target is four or five days a week where, because that's the, they're, if they're going to be training, if they're going to be practicing three or they're four days a week and having a game. They're going to be playing games all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. I said, like you, you have to make sure that that speed and intensity is still high all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, everyone has a day where it's like, all right, not, not feeling it today. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll make some changes, but for the, the most part, your body will adapt to doing that. Like your body will adapt to doing whatever you ask it to do. Yeah. And it'll probably even continue to make improvements over time. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you use any, um, or much like supplementary foot or calf work or lower leg strength work or anything like that? I, I love it. I, I do a ton of it. So I have, I mean, if there's a tool out there for it, I probably bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, Right now I have like, my big thing is like, I have these like discs that like you can balance on, but I love doing like ankle circles on those. And even like taking my toes to the ground and back. I think Joel Joel loves them discs as well. I think, doesn't he? I think definitely I heard him mention like them balance discs or something before. They're really good. And like, I, um, what are, uh, do you, is there a name on them or just like, I I got them from like, uh, Pierre's elite performance. I know, I think like, um, you do like the Probot X, yeah, from Marv Marinovich, yeah. He like disc came with with those, and I do like doing the Probot X stuff. I do a lot of like the PVC balance stuff on my feet. Yeah. I do a lot of the the slant board holds. Yeah, I just saw this from Jared Burton. I don't know if you're familiar with him. His his oh. Instagram name is like Train Efficiently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the guy. Efficiently. Yeah, yeah. But he was doing holds where he'd like stand on a, a weight plate with like just his outer two toes mm-hmm. and like the, the, the metatarsals just holding that position. It was so much harder than, than you think it would be mm-hmm. to not let, let your heel drop and to maintain the shape of your foot. And then you can do that same thing on the other side with just like your, your big toe and, and your second toe from Franz Bosch. They do some stuff with like just toe work where you just like walk on your toes around a, a weight plate and you don't actually let the ball of your foot touch. Yeah. Yeah. And I love doing that because I, I, I was doing that and I was like, wow, like I'm way weaker at this than I thought I was because I do a good bit of like foot strengthening stuff. And then I heard um, Emily Spleichel, I think it's like Spleichel or Spleichel. She invented the Naboso. Yeah. She was on a podcast and she had talked about how increasing the strength of your toes just makes like the lever arm of your foot longer, which gives you more power when you hit the ground. Mm-hmm. It's like, that makes so much sense. Like, so I, I really do a lot of stuff, not just for the feet, but to try to even like strengthen the toes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to do so much of that. Then I moved away from it and now I'm moving back towards it again. Cause uh, I got, I got really annoyed at that stuff. Cause I just saw like in the physio world, people just doing like towel grabs and everything was like, plantar, yeah. fix your plantar fasciitis, fix your toe issues, fix your Achilles issues. And it was like, okay, can you lift your big toe separate to your other toes? Can you lift your other toe separate to your big toe? And then just doing towel grabs and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, this stuff is bullshit, which I yeah. think still think probably a lot of that stuff is bullshit, but then you can really work the foot. Yeah, it has like, to be think, so hard. It's like yeah. anything else. Like it has to be tough to, like if you want to make it a strength exercise, you have to make it a strength exercise. Mm-hmm. Like it can't be easy to do it. Yeah, they're just doing them for hundreds of reps a day 
which actually, like, look, again, early in the rehab process, that could be fine. Or if you're using that as a recovery thing or something like that, loads and loads and loads of reps. But I remember when I was training with Edo Portal mm, several years ago, we used to like, a ha- we used to bal- do balancing work on a handrail uh, where you stand up on it and you walk around and yeah, you know, all yeah. different things on that. And you could be up there for like 20 minutes and your feet would be like, it's like you're walking on hot yeah. coal. Your feet are destroyed. They're so hot, warm, like working really, really hard because you're balancing like on all different parts of the feet, on the toes and yeah. spinning around and stuff. So that one minutes is a long time. It's a long time. It, t- <laughs> it takes a lot of time. And actually it's, it's like a self-limiting thing anyway, because you can't balance in the beginning, you're balancing there for 10 seconds and you're falling off. Yeah. And then as you get better, then yeah, it builds up and then he has like all transitioning onto single egg and blah, 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 blah. So, um, also there's a big fear element because it was never balancing low. It was always like up hip height yeah, or yeah. even higher than that. So, uh, but I just remember how good my feet used to feel after that stuff. So yeah, I think that's really, really, really valuable. So I think even just the podcast alone or for the people that hopefully stayed on, as I'm sure they will have, to hear all the, the foot stuff that you just described, because I know a lot of people are into foot stuff on this podcast. So uh, that stuff is is super valuable. But again, I think I'm going to repeat what you said. It has to be hard, I think. It is. And even if you're doing like a, a heel raise, if you concentrate on like driving through your toes, not just through the ball, of your foot, that that little bit of intent makes a big difference as well. Yeah. Yeah. You'll actually feel your soleus then because yes. a lot of people, I, I, I see when people do their heel raises and stuff, especially seated, but standing as well. It's just like they just trust their ankle forward instead of actually building pressure down through the foot. And it does make a big, a big, big difference. So yeah. Okay. Something to, something for all of us to, to think about. Yeah. Give it a shot. That was awesome, man. That was a, an absolute masterclass in all things change direction, feet, speed, uh, plyometrics, multi-directional stuff. Anything else? Or would you just like to let us know where people can find you or what you have? If there's anything you'd like people to check out? Yeah, well, first off, thank you for having me on. It was, it was an awesome conversation. I post a ton on Instagram. That my first and last name, Jason Fairheller. Um, multi-directional. Spell your, spell your last name for us. Oh, boy. It's, good luck remembering it. F-E-A-I-R. H E L L E R three vowels in a row throw yeah. people off in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And then multi-directional power. I have a 12 week or like three phase feed and power program that you can kind of follow on there. And then there's also a coach's course on there, which is all video based where I'm like taking someone else through a bunch of different drills, explaining a bunch of the stuff a little bit more in depth than we just did a little bit. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Coach is one. I must, I might check both of them things out actually. So yeah. How's Instagram going for you? Is it, is it working? It's so like the beginning of the year I had, I think like 1800 followers and now it's up to like 23,000 Nice. and no joke at like about like two or 3000, I made one post and Connor McGregor started following me and that was it. That, that, blew up the algorithm and ever since then it's been fantastic cool that's that's uh someone else mentioned that exactly about conor mcgregor to me but not as much as that um but i think they got like three thousand followers the day he followed them or something like that as well so it was like that led to like a bunch of other like pro athletes and people with like big followings and yeah i, now, wonder, I, gotta, is, yeah. I wonder is i wonder is your algorithm like saying because 
Conor McGregor like this or follow this person, I'm going to show it to others? Or did people actually see that Conor McGregor followed you and followed you as a result? Probably the former, actually, because great if question. It's, if it's continued on, then it's probably because it's probably the algorithm is doing it rather than them just seeing that. I don't know. But then I got probably like 20 messages of people being like, how can you get me to meet Conor McGregor? He's like my biggest or my favorite fighter. I'm like, I yes, I really don't know the guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't want tickets to stuff. They want to see all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hilarious. That's uh, it must be. That's what Conor must. Conor has to be careful at who he follows then, because anyone he follows, people think it's like this person yeah. can get me in with him. So yeah, uh, yeah. So that was good. Say, you should just say anyone who buys my program gets to meet Connor. That's right. Yeah, I should mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. yeah, might not be the most honest thing, but uh, make some <laughs> make some sales. Uh, okay, Jason, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate the chat. Uh, are you dressing up for Halloween tonight? I'm not. So I'll tell you a quick story. So my girls are six and four right now. Two years ago, they're like, "Dad, Dad, you got to dress up. You got to dress up." So they they're like, "We want you to wear this bumblebee costume." I was like, all right, fine. For you girls, I will do it. And then Halloween comes. We're like, we want to go trick-or-treating with mom. You stay home and give out candy. So I'm sitting by myself <laughs> giving out candy in this bumblebee costume. So I said, that's it. I fell for that one time. Never again. <laughs> not, not, not dressing up. Was that planned? Was that planned by them? If, if, if I don't so, know. A, I don't know. It was a masterstroke. <laughs> yeah, maybe mom planned it, but it was it was actually kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thank you very much. Hey guys, David here again. Hope you really enjoyed that episode with Jason. Lots to learn, lots to try and implement, lots to make me think and question myself and my methods um which is good it's a good little result from uh from a podcast and uh jason is a cool guy as well so great to chat it's actually halloween night here so i'm gonna head home and we're gonna make homemade pizzas i think i'm a master chef at the homemade pizzas we get a nice, nice sourdough base a little bit of tomato um spread or whatever you call it little bit of mozzarella cheese but not the great one that's come grated for you it's like a ball of mozzarella and you rip it up and you eat half of it while you're putting on the pizza a little bit of spinach actually or you can put a lot of spinach on it because it will end up kind of of wilting a little bit so you put that on the pizza what else maybe a chicken or a bit of chicken a little bit of salami or pepperoni some jalapenos are absolutely key maybe some tomato depending on how much tomato sauce you put on the base you could add in some tomatoes but you don't want to overwhelm it with tomato either then you pop it into the oven about 10 or 15 minutes if you can get the base nice and crispy it's phenomenal and then um, a few chili flakes when you're done and then a little bit of garlic mayo sauce on the side homemade pizza maybe a couple of chips in the air fryer and we're going to watch hero wants to watch hocus pocus too so can't really remember hocus pocus one that well but um hopefully we will enjoy it that's the scariest movie i can watch because i straight out refuse to watch any scary movies because i will get nightmares for a full week if i watch something scary so um so yeah that's the episode one last reminder to jump onto djr interactive for example if you wanted to just look at the plyometric section you could watch a video the biomechanics of hopping learn about early mid and late stance and max propulsion yielding and stiff plyometrics using asymmetrical landings to bridge the gap. Matt McKinnis-Watson did a presentation on plyometrics for a return to play. There's a coaching 
kind of a coach's eye video there which side is is the achilles injury on we're using split stance like pogos there for that and you're you should be able to see which side and i'll talk you through kind of progressions and regressions there as well so that's just the plyometric session we, we section we have the running sprinting and change direction co-contractions freeze freezing degrees of freedom curved running acceleration mechanics go a uh, guest presentation by leaf taft on his 180 series so all these videos there for to make you a better coach more clarity in how you coach and how you treat your clients make some more money be happier in your job or be happy in your job because a lot of people are not happy enough because they're not getting good enough result results maybe they're not getting enough credit or like a claim or just just their clients aren't saying thank you so much that was amazing that helped me or you're not able to see someone actually progressing so we're helping you do all of those things and ultimately live a happier life so jump on to dj interactive the link is in the show notes and um can't wait to see you in there apart from that see you next week for another great episode.